1: On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we are talking about spirituality and polyamory. So, we've done episodes in the past about religion and polyamory, and this time we're going to kind of go a a different slash similar route, uh, talking about spirituality and polyamory. And this is spirituality meaning, you know, New Age, the free love movement, and its association with spirituality, uh, as well as some other things like that.
2: Oh uh, yeah, a different slash similar, different That's slash similar way of putting it. Yeah, way of putting yeah. it. Totally. Okay. I'm excited. Uh, about meanwhile, yes. Meanwhile, I'm going to start this off with a bang. When I say the phrase "free love," what comes to mind? Also, who are you? Oh, I'm Dedeker. <laughs> I'm Emily.
1: And I'm Jace. And when I think of free love, I think of the Beatles.
0: Yeah, really? You do. I think of the sixties.
1: No, I actually think yeah. of uh I think of that one movie. Um what's what's the movie I'm thinking of? I don't know. Where they sing Tiny Dancer a lot.
0: Oh, uh Almost Famous. Yes,
1: that's the one.
0: That's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Real good. I also yeah, think about bro. Forrest
1: Gump.
2: Really? Mm, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think about like definitely think about hippies like mm-hmm. long hair and some feathers and beads. Yeah and I some think communes it- and Shirtless guys with long hair and long beards.
1: I don't think very much about showers.
2: Yeah, yeah. Faint (laughs) smell of, like, incense covering up BO.
1: BO, yeah. (laughs) Yep, yep. These are all things I think of.
2: (laughs) Uh, Um, And honestly, that's what things that most people think of as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, obviously, the free love movement started in the 60s. It had a little bit of its roots in the 50s when we were coming off of World War II. Um, Mm -hmm. The 50s was also when the first Inklings of the Swinger movement was actually starting to happen, surprisingly enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's interesting because, like, we associate free love with this particular era, with the 60s counterculture movement. And we associate it with many things. Like, a lot of people associate it with, like, irresponsible sex. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that, like, that year has particularly been demonized for being that irresponsible, um, also and not drugs. mindful. Drugs, exactly like experimentation with drugs. We, but we also tend to associate it with this kind of interesting, like hippie spirituality, hmm. um, mm-hmm. which, which is-, is very much attached to what, like, worshiping the Earth Mother. Yoga, aligning chakras, and yoga and tai chi, crystals. and like all and crystals. Yes, yeah. well, so it's, it's the kind age of, of this. Aquarius.
1: Yeah, it's kind of this mashup of things from Buddhism and things from Hinduism and things from paganism and you know various other um kind of basically anything that was not Judeo-Christian mm, <laughs> was kind mm-hmm. of like let's pull from all of these. Uh, and and kind of throw them all together, and that that's something that gets associated with that sort of hippie spirituality.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. No, the interesting thing, and this was actually something that I found when I was researching my big old history chapter for my book, um, which is that you know the original phrase for free love didn't it didn't have anything to do with sex or with spirituality. Hmm. Um, originally, free love started getting bandied about at least in America in the mid eighteen hundreds. And it had to do, yeah, it had to do with people wanting to be in relationships, but not necessarily wanting the government to get involved. So as in, like, being able to be in a relationship, but not have to get married, which is commonplace for us today, back in the 1800s, was, like, unthinkable. Yeah, 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 Um, for sure. It was very much attached to the very early days of the feminist movement, Hmm. when a lot of uh, feminist leaders at the time were calling out against the institution of marriage. You know, because at that time, the institution of marriage very much was about, like, enslaving women um, and restricting her rights and taking away her personhood. And so that was, like, the original free love movement. And so the free love movement from the 60s, it did start in some of that as well, because there were many things that were parallel to that. A lot of, like, throwing off these ideas of being regulated by tradition or being regulated by government and being able to explore... um, you know, different types of relationships and different living situations. Um, but now today we kind of just think about like sex and drugs. Right. And rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely interesting. So, so then part of this though, that, that it did get associated with this kind of sexual revolution, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, kind of this, this idea of moving away from sex negativity or the idea that sex is something shameful or that can only be done when it's in this certain way that's ordained by the church um, mm. that that, that kind of ties into this idea that generally speaking religion is associated with being anti sex um, mm. or or you know anti sex with you know outside of marriage uh, and, yeah. and therefore out you know is anti-polyamory. And I think that that's something that definitely gets echoed a lot in the communities that we're part of is kind of this idea that anything religious is inherently anti-polyamory or or anti anything that's not sort of the status quo monogamy marriage centric kind of thing.
2: Yeah, so that's interesting. I mean, because I see definitely within the poly community like I see a lot of people whose religious expression comes out more in this kind of like a little bit new agey alternative spirituality. I don't see as many people who do identify as like Christian or who identify as Muslim or anything else. I mean, I feel like I've seen a a within the poly community. Yeah. But but we did have you guys in that episode that we did many, many
0: moons ago, I thought that we Mm -hmm. did find a Christian group that identified as polyamorous Maybe I'm making this Christian up, but I think that we did. Oh, there is Christian that what it was?
1: Swingers. The cr- yeah. Christian okay. swingers is a big thing, for sure. There that's, you go. That's definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't
2: know if it's a big thing, but it is a thing.
1: I would I I bet you it's bigger than you think it is.
2: It, oh no! It probably is. I listeners, listeners, tweet than,
1: at multiamory and tell Dedeker if you if think this is,
2: is a bigger is thing not. than she yeah. thinks. Tell it is. us your secret <laughs> sexy Christian swinging stories.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, um. So anyway, so yeah. that's the thing is that that when you do start up the conversation about spirituality within polyamory, that Most people, I feel like, tend to align themselves with that kind of spiritual philosophy. It's like where you see the people who are the Tantra practitioners um, or the And what is that
0: exactly? A Tantra practitioner.
2: Well, people... Well, I mean, we associate Tantra... Tantra is a much bigger subject. A lot of people associate it with Tantric sex, Mm -hmm. which is like a meditative form of sex. um, Yeah. Which people... I mean, there are plenty of workshops and books and resources and teachers and instructional videos, like tons mm-hmm. of things. Definitely. Um, ranging, ranging the whole spectrum from pornographic to educational um, on, on tantric sex. Um, but I guess how I would define this is kind of people who align their sexual and relationship life or choices with their spiritual
0: philosophy yes yeah yeah i mean
1: well yeah that it's that it's kind of this um this question of like what is spirituality versus a religion uh and, and this is something that actually with with the term new age which we've tossed around a little bit in this episode already that is something that's a bit of an issue of contention amongst scholars even in talking about the new age movement that mm. some people, some scholars, do refer to New Age thinking as a religion, whereas mm. others think of it more as a movement that had to do with embracing a lot of alternative, less common spiritual practices and beliefs. And kind of, is it a spirituality it to be
2: like pulling away from norm, like the regularly established? Religious
1: right. Religious like, behavior. is it a spirituality or as a or is it a religion? Um, and uh, you know, even some some sects that were considered New Age had to do with kind of believing that, you know, we're descended from aliens and things like that. That there's a lot of stuff that falls under this umbrella of New Age, and that some people, depending on their experience, will have those different associations with Mm -hmm. it. But it still comes back to this question of, you know, is it a religion, or is is it spirituality, and what's the difference there? Uh, Is it... it,
0: Yeah, I mean, is one like a... I don't know it's sort of a, a way of being like you're you're spiritually I don't know that that to me seems more we'll like see, spirituality yeah. although I guess one could argue that religion does the same thing it like becomes a way of life almost like you're I mean, moving mindfulness
2: most, yeah, yeah most people tend to define it as that religion tends to be more of an institution sure and that spirituality tends to be more of a personal expression but there are plenty Mm. of people on the internet who will hop all over me for defining it that way. Sure. (laughs) Um, there's a lot of different
1: types of spirituality that are very defined and, and, um, you know, have a lot of systems in place, I guess.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, But I
2: kind of want to like, I want to examine why it is that like polyamory and non monogamy aligns with with the kind of more new age spirituality. And I mean, part of it is because of that is because that most established religions are very anti poly. Sure. You know? sure. And so for people who still ha- have this desire to have some kind of spiritual connection, or maybe want to connect to a community, you know, the only option they have left is to turn to these alternative communities. Um, I know in my own research for the book, you know, it was the pagan community in the seventies, eighties and nineties. That was one of the first quote unquote religious communities to be very accepting and open of many different sexualities Mm -hmm. of like people and of people being like transgender or people being bisexual or pansexual. And so they were also one of the first communities to accept polyamory. Um,
1: Okay. It's actually
2: they, they morning glory Zell was a priestess, a pagan priestess in the eighties. And she's credited with being one of the first people to even coin the term polyamory. Oh, okay, well, which is sort
1: um, of this unknown thing of who yes. really coined that term. It's yeah. a bit of a, an issue yeah. of contention, so that's interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, like, she published, she was like a writer for a pagan newsletter, and she published an article, and that was kind of like the first time that we see the word polyamory in print, where she hmm. was describing this way of like having multiple romantic partners. Right. Um, and so it's almost kind of like the modern day polyamory movement was a little bit born within the New Age. Spirituality sure. movement. Yeah, huh.
1: well, and I, I think that, that especially people that are poly, uh, that are of the generation, kind of overlapping and just a little bit older than us, their experience compared to ours is definitely even more steeped in that community of new age spirituality and stuff like mm. that. But I think that that, yeah. like you said, it was kind of born out of that, and I think that yeah. um, it's becoming now. I, I think polyamory is becoming now something that's a little more of a of like a lifestyle choice i also think sort of culturally we have the term lifestyle choice that i think wasn't really a term used quite the same way before that before it was it was polyamory was kind of more tied up in spirituality and that now it's it is more in this realm of a lifestyle choice that doesn't have to be associated with any particular philosophy on you know the universe and spirituality and god and all of that
0: i've heard people linking it to like a oneness though which could i mean be connected to god in some sense but also like people use the term high vibrational thinking and like (laughs) you know a mindfulness and a oneness and all of those things that's what it reminds me of i'm like the most not (laughs) knowing person of any sort of religion is a a good good segue
1: it is
2: yeah because i wanted to talk to our listeners about the fact that that the three of us embody a weird contradiction
0: yes um, you're right in that
2: i think the three of us all identify as like very logical relatively left-brained people Mm -hmm. um not none of us are particularly religious um, or, or spiritual ascribed to any, or particularly yeah. spiritual. In fact, often we tend to make fun of people who are like the super, super like tantra, super, super hippy dippy. However, the irony being that like, we all have some of these hippy dippy influences in our lives, um, For sure. that mm-hmm. we still do manifest. And so I wanted to talk about that. I kind of want to talk to you guys about like, what are the the more woo-woo parts of your life and how <laughs> sure. that relates to your relationships. Huh. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start this one because we had talked yeah. about this earlier. So I, um, before I moved to LA, uh, you know, gosh, seven years ago or whenever this was now, for a couple of years before that, I was um, a musician and then later became the co-music director at a, um, a New Thought church. Uh, and new thought that is yeah. New thought is specifically. Oh. Uh, it's also called practical Christianity. Is another term for it. That's not oh, wow. as commonly used oh, interesting.
2: anymore. I haven't heard that one.
1: Yeah. So new thought is a, a movement that is you know kind of runs a range of things, but it is kind of tied up in um, basically like this idea that the message that you know that Jesus was a real person, but that. You know, he was an enlightened person just like Siddhartha was, or, you know, various other, or Teknahan, or, you know, other spiritual teachers. Um, but they do believe in a, in sort of basically like the secret, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, in kind of manifesting things and that, like, faith healing essentially, but sort of without the uh, kind of rules oriented way that a lot of religion is. Uh, Uh that, that it's, but it's, uh, still kind of based out of Christianity. It kind of comes out of that teaching. Um, and for me, when I first started getting involved with this is cause it was a job because they paid me to play music there. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, you know, somewhat fresh out of college and needed that extra money. And, uh, you know, being raised Christian, it, it was like this interesting thing of like, well, this is a little bit weird. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Uh, But I did find that over time I came to have an appreciation for it. And this particular church where in Seattle um, was one that more so than others, like really incorporated a lot of different religions. So like in each, uh, you know, message, like during that sermon or whatever you want to call it, Uh, There would be quotes from Jesus and from Buddha and from Titnahan and from, uh, you know, pagan teachers and stuff like that. There would be a whole variety of these things all uh, together uh, rather than some other churches in this movement, I guess, are a little more focused on the Christian side of that message. Uh. But it is kind of this idea, though, that there's not this idea that that. Jesus died for your sins, kind of in that traditional Christian way, but more that he was here to teach us about how to be better humans or something like that uh, and so through all of this, this isn't something that I ever really considered myself actively a part of, but it definitely over the years has had a large impact on some of the things that I've learned about and some of the things that I've thought about since then yeah, yeah so what about you guys i mean what what's your connection to this hippie woo-woo stuff that we're talking about.
0: I mean, I'm super vegan and super <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> well, you're a hardcore so, yogi.
0: and uh, Yeah, and yeah. that, um, I mean, I don't really meditate on a daily basis outside of yoga, but within yoga, there's definitely a meditative aspect of it, um, as well as sort of like a just being better within the world and, and living um living your life in a in a more mindful way um and breathing and you know it it has absolutely made a huge difference within who I am as a person and definitely like it made me at least feel more one and connected with everyone involved on this planet and stuff and um i think more so than i have been probably before because again like as i've said before i never ever grew up unlike the two of you with a a religious background in any way. Right. So to have um this other sort of thing which I definitely wouldn't call yoga religion, although maybe some people would, but it is kind of a spiritual um, you know, way in which to live your life. And I don't know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like to me it's been super super enlightening in various ways and made me at least feel a little bit less alone Mm -hmm. and that's cool. Mm Yeah.
2: My question for you is because I I I definitely get the impression from you that like your yogic practice is is connected to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also get the impression that your choice to be vegan is not necessarily connected to your spirituality.
0: I wouldn't say that it is. No, I- except um, it's connected me more to to understanding that like life forms in any sense are precious, and that like. Mm. You know, the animals that I could be eating, I have no interest in doing that simply because I am a sentient being who gets to choose whether or not I want to eat those animals. And I get to choose whether or not I want to contribute to the factory farming that is devastating this planet. And I'm choosing not to. So from that standpoint, um, you know, call that what you will, if that's spiritual or not. But to me, it is it has become like a huge part of my life. And I mm-hmm. believe very firmly and strongly in it. So that maybe have, maybe has some spiritual aspects to it, but it at least like grounds me to oneness with all things. And that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in terms of my relationships, I don't know. I mean, just having like an openness to not feeling like you're the only person on this damn sad earth, you know, and, and rather that <laughs> sorry, damn that was sad earth. <laughs> that was a little <laughs> a little melancholic <laughs> for this evening. But, um, you know, that that you are together with humans, and, uh, yeah. I don't know, that's, mm-hmm. that makes me happier, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I you, Dedeker. <laughs> I mean, for myself, like, yeah, I mean, I was raised quite religiously, I was raised Christian, and then, um, you know, when I stepped away from that and had some periods of exploring, um... I guess, like, the joke that I always make is that for a long time I've identified as Buddhist,
0: which is, like,
2: just, like, kind of half-Buddhist, like, you know, like, I have a daily meditation practice, and I do have a yogic practice as well, and I think part of my other spiritual practice is also, like, reading spiritual teachers or listening to philosophers and trying to kind of contribute to my own growth in that way. Um, But it's interesting because I feel like how that bleeds into my relationships is almost a little bit similar to your veganism where it's not necessarily directly connected to your spirituality. Um, at least that's not where it started for me. Like Polly didn't start from a spiritual place for me of like wanting to connect or wanting to feel like one with more people or wanting to find like more like universal love or anything like that. But it definitely has created some ties between Mm -hmm. those two aspects of myself now. Um, Which is something that I think we'll get into a little bit later on in the episode. But we need to take a break real, real quick to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So Okay, yeah. So So in coming back into it, so obviously all of us have a little bit of this kind of alternative spiritual influence within our lives, although not necessarily directly on our relationships. And mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about why the three of us specifically have chosen to kind of express our spirituality in different arenas of our lives but not necessarily tie it to our relationships.
1: Well, yeah, okay. So so basically what, what we're going to talk about now is is kind of this this the the problem with getting a little too spiritual. And in our episode about religion and polyamory, we got into this a little bit and this kind of applies here too. A lot of the things are are similar actually. Yeah. Um and it's basically this like we said at the very beginning of this episode, we generally think of ourselves as pretty pragmatic, left-brained kind of people. Uh, Empirical is the word that I like to use. But basically, it's this idea that there is spirituality, which can be this really helpful thing, or religion, which can be a really powerful, you know, um, life-enhancing thing for a lot of people. But, When taken too far, it can lead people to kind of ignore science or ignore Mm. things that have been studied because there's kind of this opposition, this artificial, in my opinion, artificial opposition that's created between spirituality and science or religion and science. Uh, And so the the example of this uh, that that is a nice illustration of it is um, when I was in college I was in a psychology class and we learned about something called cognitive dissonance. And uh, if any of you have studied any psychology, this is a pretty base level thing you learn in psychology. And basically, it's the idea that your brain, if it interprets that you think something different than the way you act, it it perceives that as dissonance, Hmm. which means you're like acting inconsistently with how you feel and your brain doesn't like that. So it's either going to change the way that you're behaving or it's going to change the way that you're thinking. So the example of this is that uh, they did a study where people do a really boring task and then afterward are asked to explain to the next person who's going to do this boring task that it was actually really fun. And in one group, they just asked them to do it. The next group, they, they paid them like $5 to do it. And the next one, they paid them $20 to tell the people that it was going to be fun. And they found that the less a person was paid to say that this thing they were doing was fun, the more likely they were to actually say that it was kind of fun later when they filled out a questionnaire about it.
2: Like when they're asking about their own opinion of... Their own opinion about about it. it. That they
1: remembered the activity as being more fun the less they were paid to tell someone else it was fun. So the psychological principle here is that... If you, you know, if someone asks you to do something and you do it for very little reward, your brain can't justify why you've done it. It's not like, well, I got twenty bucks, so whatever. Mm, You're like, yeah. well, I did this for free, so I must kind of believe it. And um, this is something so that's been, been used kind of bummed, in a more yeah. in a more negative way in like prisoner of war camps in China specifically. Uh, there are some mm-hmm. reports of that um, of getting prisoners of war to turn against each other for like a cigarette. Or something oh, that wow. then eventually kind of converted them to switching sides. This idea of cognitive dissonance. Anyway, so the story is that I was telling a friend of mine in college about this, uh, my roommate at the time, and he got really upset, like was like very viscerally, like physically upset by this whole concept, and was arguing with me against it. And I was just like, No, no, no. This is this is actual like. There's been research this is just a this is science this is a thing that is and he just it upset him so much and I remember being really puzzled about why it is that this upset him so much my friend who's who's like a physics major is like really into science so it wasn't like that kind of thing and what I realized about it is that it challenged for him this idea that he was the one in control of himself that like everything that he thought or felt was entirely in his control, that it challenged that idea. And that to him was so threatening that it actually made him angry. Hmm. It actually made him upset. It was one of the few fights that we ever had actually. Uh, And I think that with a lot of things relating to, you know, science and religion and logic versus spirituality and science versus spirituality, it's the same kind of thing. Um, And like Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about in cosmos a lot That this idea that explaining the science behind how humans work or how the universe works doesn't take away the magic of it, it adds to it. Hmm. And in the same way with this, with just like gravity, that when we learned about gravity, it didn't make us all of a sudden less powerful, it made us able to utilize gravity to our advantage, yeah. Uh, and that the same with this with understanding cognitive dissonance. I've found for myself that since having an understanding of that, it gives me a better understanding of myself and it allows me to weigh my feelings in a different more educated way than if I felt like no I have to uh, have to hold on to this belief that I'm entirely in control all the time and that there's no other factors that can control my feelings.
2: Um What it reminds me of is I actually had a conversation about this with a partner once, um, talking about NRE, about new relationship energy. And Mm. I know we've covered that on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, Well, I was explaining to him that, like, well, it's this chemical process and, like, this fires off and then that fires off and it lasts for this long. Um, Right. And he got upset because he was like, well, that's very, like, unromantic. Yeah, I've got the same reaction. Like, it it, kind of is, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that makes it, like, less special. But honestly, like, really the way I feel is like, no, like, I think it's freaking awesome to know this stuff because that means that, like, because I know it, like, I can actually enjoy it. Yeah,
0: knowledge is power.
2: Exactly, like, it loses its power over me and now I can actually enjoy it. And so so it's kind of like, i can i know like okay well these chemicals are only going to be in my system for like 6 months to a year so i'm really <laughs> going to enjoy them but then also when those chemicals go away that i don't have to have that moment of panic of like oh my god am i falling out of love yeah with my partner or do i not have yeah. my partner anymore like Absolutely. like knowing what's going on behind that feeling of falling in love actually empowers me to to feel more free to fall in love which is sure. irony mm-hmm. yeah um
1: that's cool definitely so so when we're talking about this this kind of the dark side of spirituality is that is that it can also just like religion lead to this resistance to thinking about things more scientifically. Mm. It it can lead to this kind of magical thinking is the term for it. Um, this idea, this magical thinking that in thinking that you have more power than you actually do. And it's this kind of, it's a tricky thing where it's like, I think for a lot of people, we have more power than we believe that we do. (laughs) But in certain other ways, people can start to think they have more power to kind of affect the physical realm in a way that they don't. And so there's sort of this balance to Like, I'm going to pray found. for something. Right, like praying for something. That there have yeah. you know, been studies that have been shown that with people who are sick, where they have, you know, a control group that doesn't do anything. And then a a test group where people are praying for them. And they found that the group that had more people praying for them were less likely to recover from their sicknesses. Uh,
2: really? Yeah. I wonder why
1: that is in the same way. They've done studies with people who do affirmations of like writing what your ideal life is like and what you imagine, you know, what like writing as if you already have the things that you want, Mm -hmm. which is what uh, affirmations are about a lot of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm also studies with that have shown that people who write about their life as if they already have it are less likely to get those things than people that don't do that. Um, right. So there's, there's a lot of scientific evidence to go against both of those. And let me just clarify. I don't think affirmations are a bad thing. I do them myself, but I think that that knowledge, again, like we were saying, knowledge is power. And I'm saying this as someone who's from that whole camp of the, the new thought church.
0: Yeah.
2: So to bring it back around to how this applies to relationships, I think that, like, my big criticism that I see in people who, like, so closely tie their spirituality to their practice of polyamory is that there's kind of this sense that you're tapping into this big source, right? And, like, I mean, honestly, you are. Like, because human love is this amazing, far-reaching, cosmic, undefinable thing. It really is this thing that is so much bigger than us and that mm-hmm. we constantly try to understand and yet we can't because it's so much bigger yes. than us. You yes. know? But at the same time relying on that to be the only thing that makes your life work or that makes your relationships work, I think that leads to a lot of heartache. Um because like I really believe that like some people kind of have this feeling that like well just this big cosmic love is just going to be enough. You know? Um
1: that no matter how bad a relationship might be, that as long as you have love, it's going to be
2: okay. Or traditional relationships. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, like, this is, like, people who are not huge hippies are guilty of this thinking as well. Um, Yeah. And, of course, we don't want to leave our listeners with the impression that we're, like, totally knocking (laughs) any of these things. Not at all. Because, obviously, all three of us, you know, take part in these things in our daily lives and in our relationships as well to a certain extent. The big thing that I would want to leave our listeners with is to reassure you that polyamory and non-monogamy is not a more enlightened or a more spiritual way of living by default. There are some people who will try to tell you that, that it is more spiritually connected, um, but it's not difference is that the people who are the most effective at poly relationships and the people who honestly are most effective at relationships in general are people that happen to have a lot of qualities and a lot of habits that we associate with enlightenment. Mm. Um, Things like being non-reactive or having good emotional management or being dedicated to personal growth or having patience or choosing compassion, you know, these are Mm -hmm. all things that are really, really great for relationships. And there are also things that we happen to associate with people who are more enlightened or people who are more effectively spiritual. And so, I mean, I don't know. I guess the big takeaway would be that, like, I do think that your relationships and your romantic life and your sex life can be an access point into spirituality. However, I, don't, I do think that it's healthy to keep those things a little bit separate, personally, for me. That's just my own thing. Yeah, all you
0: You just named off that list, and I was like, need to work on that. Need to work on that. <laughs> need to work on that. I think so. No, like, well, we all
2: need to work on that. We yeah. all need to yeah. work on that constantly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah, I think that that it's definitely what you're saying is that idea that um, you know these are all things that we want to work on and we all feel like we need to work on and and Mm. and it it reminds me of the thing about um, meditation that it's called a meditation practice yeah
0: it's not Mm. called
1: a meditation achievement
0: or performance that it's
1: it's not something that you figure out it's not like oh i'm failing at meditation because it's hard or because my mind wanders or something it's called a practice because it's always difficult like you're you're always getting better And I think that something we talk about a lot on this show is the idea of self-improvement and improving your self-awareness. And, you know, even if that's painful sometimes, or you don't like the things that you're figuring out, I know I go through that a lot of like, I don't really like all these things that I'm figuring out, but I always am motivated by improving myself and therefore improving my life and improving the way that I affect the world and my partner's and my relationships with everyone, whether they're romantic partners or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, that it's that that sort of connection with, with self-improvement. And,
2: uh, and that doesn't necessarily have to be connected to spirituality. Right. No.
1: Yeah, that it, you could approach it in a very logical, scientific way, or you could approach it in a more spiritual way, and that both of those are good paths to it if they motivate you and if they feel good to you. Um, but that because you're in one doesn't mean you should entirely write off things from the other, I guess like our, our thing is always kind of this middle road between mm. the two extremes, you know? Yeah. Well, yes. anything else?
2: I
0: feel I think like we covered all yeah. of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> was, a lot. was a big one.
1: Uh, this is one. again, as always, this is a topic that I would love to hear from you guys about. We might talk about this some, um, uh, you know, in our future discussion groups, talk about people's spiritual practices. What is it that you do? Do you feel like that's connected to your relationships? Um, also let us know, send us a tweet at multi Amory on Twitter, or send us an email to info at multi Or you can reach us on Facebook at multi Amory, uh, or just comment on our website and you can find all our info there. We'd love to hear from you guys. Really? We do. Uh, we try to respond to everything, either in an email or by addressing it on the podcast. We really appreciate hearing from you. It helps us to come up with future topics and helps us to, you know, steer this show. Like you are all part of our community, and we love you for that. Thank you so much. All right.
2: See you next all week. All
0: you natives love. <laughs> <laughs>
2: With some throat singing, some throat singing, Jace. Okay, I Take took a home. class in tube
1: and throat singing in college. <clears throat> Here you go.
0: He's so good at it. Watch.
1: <laughs> now you, now you psych me out.
2: <laughs> no, okay, right. Come on, let's hear
0: it. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs> See you next week. Judy was born.